Where are our coffee drinkers? What about our too busy in the morning, need to pack everything you can into the one beverage you get people? Mornings are hectic. If I have to choose between my coffee and a breakfast item, coffee wins every time. This is why Laird Superfoods was so appealing to me. I wanted to be able to add superfoods into something that I was already consuming because like I said, with three kids, my mornings are the most chaotic part of my day. But honestly, other than the caffeine aspect, my coffee was pretty much empty calories once my creamer was added. And that sugar crash I get is never my favorite part of the day. If you want more from your coffee, Laird Superfood is for you. They have better ingredients, amazing taste, and functional benefits that are crafted from the highest quality of all natural, real food ingredients. They contain naturally occurring MCTs from coconut oil. It's shelf stable. There are no artificial flavors, colors, or additives, and there is no sugar from highly refined corn syrup. 2023 is all about trying new things and Laird Superfood has functional superfood creamers, instant lattes, and prebiotic greens as well as a variety of snacks, baking mixes, and protein options full of wholesome plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for wherever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing, plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code GRUESOME at checkout to save 15% off of your purchase today. Welcome to Gruesome your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie, along with the study queen, Meg. And tonight she is going to tell us about John George Hay. Before I tell you about John George Hay, I'm going to need every single person listening to just like say into the air, Meg is going to pass her boards because I take them next week and I am nervous. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to pass them. But everyone in the whole wide world, just say that into the air for me. Put that energy out there. <laughs> I got you. I got Thank you. Thank you. Um, I got a little, not super historical, but an older one for you guys tonight. On February 20th, 1949, a man and woman went into a police station in Chelsea, London, to report that 69-year-old Olive Duran Deacon had been missing for several days. Olive lived at the Onslow Court Hotel in South Kensington, and she had for the past two years. John Hay, the man who was reporting her missing, told police that she had failed to show up for an appointment that she had scheduled with him. He claimed that Olive had asked him to pick her up, and after waiting for over an hour, she had not shown up. Olive's friend, Constance Lane, who had accompanied John Hay to the police station, she said that Olive hadn't been at dinner or at breakfast at the hotel and that she was worried. So, like, lots of wealthy older ladies lived at the Onslow Court Hotel, and they would have breakfast and lunch and dinner together. That sounds um, like a dream. I, it really does. As, That's as I, I age, put me... Well, I went to a nursing home this week, and they gave... Like, the residents were allowed to have alcohol, and this little old lady, like, stumbled in, and she was like looked around and I was giving a presentation and she was like, Oh, wrong room. And then she almost fell out and she went, shouldn't have had that last drink. And I was like, honestly, that's what I want for all of our futures. Just yep. not a care in the world. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess picture that. Lots of ladies. Constance said she hadn't seen Olive at breakfast or lunch or dinner, and she was worried because she kept a tight schedule. The maid who usually cared for Olive's room told Constance that she had been out all night and she hadn't seen her since at least the night before. So Hay had asked Lane if she had seen Olive, and that was what caused Lane to be like, no, we need to go to the police and report her disappearance. Hay drove her over there. They reported it. Olive's photo was distributed to police departments. It was distributed to the hotel and around the hotel. But Sergeant Lamborn, the officer in charge of the case, had her suspicions about John. He was just a little too slick. Like, he had an answer for everything. It sounded just a little too rehearsed. Well, since this episode is named after him, I, too, am very suspicious <laughs> of Mr. Hay. And you were right to be suspicious of him. Be- despite him having an answer about all of these things that she was asking, he couldn't explain how he knew Olive. He just didn't have an answer for that. He was a little suspicious that this clean, well-dressed young man was hanging around this hotel full of wealthy old ladies. Didn't sit right with the sergeant. So she ordered a background check on him, and lo and behold, Hay had been arrested several times for swindling. He had three separate terms in prison for conspiracy to defraud, forgery, obtaining money by false pretenses, and theft. The hotel reported that he was actually in debt to them, and he hadn't paid his bills in many months there. So he became suspect numero uno in the disappearance of Olive Durand Deacon. When he was questioned, Hay claimed to be the director of Hursley Products in Crawley. And this was determined to be a lie when investigators found the two-story brick storefront that he had been renting. He rented the building from a company called Hursley Products, He told them he was doing conversion work. And as far as I understand it, conversion work was breaking down materials using acid. I don't know specifically what kind of materials. Uh, Every time I looked up conversion work, it was a more modern definition of it. And I couldn't specifically find that. So if you know what that means from 1949, let me know. At the time, it was considered a very dangerous job. There weren't a lot of people willing to do it, so those who did it could make pretty good money doing it. Inside his workshop for his conversion work, the detectives found tools, trays, wires, a sheet of red cellophane, and a wad of cotton near a bench. There were three large glass bottles, almost like big growlers or like those Mm -hmm. big wide beer bottles. They were used to hold the acid that he was using to break things down with, and they were packed in straw. One was empty and another was half empty. The door had a hook on it, and in on that hook there was a rubber apron stained with chemicals. There was a pair of rubber boots and rubber gloves and an army bag that contained a gas mask. Also uncovered in his workshop was a hat box and a briefcase with John George Hayes' initials, so J.G.H., 
Within these items were papers tied to someone named Archibald Henderson, Rose Henderson, and three people with the last name McSwan. There was a marriage certificate, there were passports, identity cards, driver's license, and a 38 Enfield revolver with eight rounds of ammunition. The revolver appeared to have been fired recently, and as they continued to look, a receipt was uncovered from a cleaner's. And on this receipt, it was a Persian lamb fur coat had been picked up from a cleaner's, and that Persian lamb fur coat was Olive Duran Deacon's. She had recently sent it to the cleaners, and he had the receipt for it. So as news of her disappearance hit the papers, a jewelry shop owner came forward to report that he had recently been sold some jewelry the day after her disappearance. And a relative came forward to identify that this jewelry that he had been sold was Ms. Duran Deacon's, and it had been sold to the shop by Jay McLean at 32 St. George's Drove. The assistant at the jewelry shop was like, McLean is hay. That is the same person. This guy is the guy who came in and sold us this jewelry. But what was weird about that was that John Hay had sold jewelry to that shop before with his real name. So for... That is weird. Why would he change it at that point? Because we love a dumb criminal. That's exactly Yeah, <laughs> we love a dumb criminal. So he had sold jewelry to them before, gave his real name, but this time he came in and sold it and gave a fake name. So John George Hay was placed under arrest. John was born to his parents, John and Emily, July 24th, 1909 in Stamford, Lincolnshire. Born to his dad, it said he was an engineer, but he was only an engineer briefly, and then he didn't have a job for a while before getting another one. They had to move, and his family attended a church for a religious sect known as the Peculiar People. They were purists. They were anti-clerical. As a boy, Hay was a fan of classical music. He played the piano. He studied and won scholarships to Queen Elizabeth Grammar School and Wakefield Cathedral, where he became a choir boy. He was not allowed to participate in any kind of sport, but he was fine with that because he hated dirt and he hated being dirty. Even as an adult, he always wore gloves. There were always gloves on his hands because he could not stand being dirty. Hay was noted as having a strange sense of humor, and because of this, he was bullied. Because his bullying continued throughout his younger years, he then began to bully others. He used to pull the stool out from underneath the elderly organist when she sat down to play. He would chase pigs around their sty until they died from exhaustion. What the f hell? That's yeah. weird. How long does that take? I don't know. What kind but of it stamina? Was alarming. Like, I would be tired. I'm mm -hmm. going to also die from exhaustion in that circumstance. He didn't really have friends. He liked to be alone. And he liked to lie. Like, it was well known that he enjoyed lying and getting away with lying. So John's father was a foreman when he finished school, and John Jr. was sent to work as an apprentice engineer at a firm that his dad was foreman at. He was fired for adding sugar to his boss's gas tank. After this, he kind of hopped around to odd jobs and insurance and advertising. Every job, he got fired. 
they terminated his employment every time he got a new job. In 1934, Hay married Betty Hamer. He was arrested four months later for car fraud and was sentenced to 15 months in prison. While he was in jail, Betty gave birth to a daughter who was given up for adoption because she was divorcing Hay. In 1936, when Hay was released from prison, he moved to London and became a chauffeur to a businessman named William McSwan, which was a name that I did just reference yeah. a little bit earlier. He left that job, and McSwan really liked him. He thought he did a great job. He worked really hard. He really trusted him, but he left that job and came up with a whole new persona, created this whole new identity for himself named William Cato Adamson. And Adamson was a solicitor with offices in London and Guildford, Surrey. And he was selling fraudulent stocks and shares to unsuspecting victims, which was pretty much what he kept getting arrested for, was selling fake insurance, insurance fraud. Wolf, Wall Street? Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's just constantly trying to scam people out of money. But this scam ended when someone noticed that his fake name was misspelled on his letterhead. <laughs> Again, just... We love a dumb criminal. Just so dumb. He got a four-year prison sentence, and... For the next several years, he spent his time in prison and then out of prison and then in prison again. During his last stretch, Hay had the idea that he had he kept getting caught and sent to jail because his victims were able to alert the authorities. And while he was in prison, Hay learned about French murderer Georges Alexandre Serret. And Serret had disposed of his victims' bodies by using sulfuric acid. And Hay began to experiment with acid in his cell and field mice. Ugh. But here's Where the thing. get acid in prison? I don't know. Saray also worked in insurance. And he had insured a man who was dying and then persuaded a female friend to marry him. And she used him as like a decoy husband to assure insurance companies that he was no health risk and then they would use the man who's died insurance to get collect the money um so it was saray this woman and a lawyer but to ensure he kept all the money this man who inspired hay uh he murdered the lawyer and his female friend and he placed them in a metal tub and dissolved their bodies with acid and then he tried to do this again but got caught but all Hay saw was like, see, he got rid of the bodies and he got all this money. It was fine. He didn't he completely ignored the fact that he got caught for it. Oh, and yeah. Saray was sentenced to death. But Hay, as sociopaths do, was like, I could get away with that. Yeah, I'm smarter like this doesn't seem this. too bad. Mm -mm, I can get away with this. So he got out of jail. He found work as an accountant. But in 1944, he was in a car accident. He suffered a blow to the head, which bled into his mouth. And John claimed that it reminded him and revived in him these dreams he had had in his childhood about blood. And in one of his writings, he talked about 
his dreams about blood. He wrote that he had seen a forest of crucifixes that gradually turned into trees. And at first he thought there was dew or rain dripping from the branches. But as he approached, he realized that it was blood. And he said the whole forest began to writhe and the trees were all oozing blood. And he went to each tree catching it. And this man that he went to the trees with in his blood, in his he went to the trees with in his dream, asked him to drink this blood. Oh, gross. So he's in this car accident and some blood drips into his mouth and it revives in him this memory of these dreams he used to have. And it puts in him what he says is a desire to drink blood. And this was the same year that John George Hay became a murderer. He rented a basement at 79 Gloucester Street, and here he kept large bottles of acid. And it wasn't long before he had transferred what he had practiced on mice in prison to people. One evening at a pub, Hay ran into his old buddy McSwan again, and McSwan was genuinely happy to see him. He was like, oh, you got to come see my parents. They miss you because he had been a good employee to that family. And he only left because he was going to try to go scam and make easier money. The McSwans told Hay that they had recently done some big investments. They were making a lot of money right now. They would love to have him come back on board. On September 6, 1944, That day was the last time anyone heard from the younger McSwan. Hay's sudden bloodlust had caused him to murder, essentially his best friend. He hit him over the head with a blunt object. Hay slit McSwan's throat, filled a mug with blood, and drank it. Ah. Afterward, he removed all of his friend's valuables stuffed the man into a 40-gallon drum that he had salvaged from a bomb site, filled it with sulfuric acid, and he went home to bed. As he slept, his former pal became sludge. Hay returned to the basement two days later to check on the progress of his quote-unquote experiment, and he found in the drum a blackish porridge-like substance smeared with red streaks. It smelled awful, so he used a wooden rod and stirred it through this human acid stew to see if McSwan had fully dissolved. And it was more congealed than he he had expected it to be, but he was still able to get it out, and he poured it all down a large manhole drain. Hmm. That's gross. It's so gross. (laughs) Hay experienced a sense of euphoria knowing that he had murdered someone, and he believed that no one would ever be able to pin it on him because no one would ever find a body. Hay went to McSwan's parents and told them that their son had gone away to avoid the draft because this is World War II. And McSwan had already told his parents that he was going to go underground because he didn't want to serve in the military. And they completely bought it. Hay even sent his parents fake postcards from Scotland saying that he had ran away to Scotland and he wasn't going to serve in the military and he was avoiding the war. 
Because the acid had made it difficult to breathe, Hay fashioned a mask to protect his face for his next murders. He had an acid bath tub specially made of steel, painted it with several more layers to make it resistant to corrosion. And on July 2nd, 1945, the elder McSwans disappeared. Hay told their landlady that they had gone to America. He rifled through the family's files and was prepared to answer any questions, and he allegedly had all of their mail forwarded to himself, but said that it was going to America. And that included um, their pension, the, the patriarch's pension. And then he just got rid of their properties. He sold them all off. Hay claimed that he had killed both the mother and father McSwan because the father's corpse did not produce produce enough blood to satisfy him because he also drank their blood. Mm, it's so disgusting. But the fact that, like, he says that, like, oh, I killed them both because I wanted to drink more blood, but he took over all of their properties and their investments and their money. And that indicates something else to me. Like you didn't yeah. kill both of them because you wanted their blood. You killed both of them because you wanted their money. Yeah, you wanted their money. Mm-hmm. He had to pre he had pretended to be William Donald McSwan and he had forged that was his friend. He had forged the man's signature on a power of attorney before forging a deed on the property owned by McSwan's mother. And then Hay put the home in his name. He sold the other properties. He earned 1,720 pounds. He then obtained the securities and from the sale of all of their stuff and homes, he got more than 6,000 more pounds. And their disappearance was not reported to police. It wasn't even discovered until Hay was arrested in 1949. Jesus. Because everyone was hiding and running away from the war. And it, they were just like, yep, that makes sense. Of course, that's where they went. In 1949, when detectives asked how, how did you acquire Olive's coat receipt? And how do you, did you know about her? And he made up this big story about how she was blackmailing him. And that story immediately fell apart. After he was alone with one detective, he asked them what the chances were of anyone being released from an institution for the criminally insane at Broadmoor. Just, just curious. If you have to go there, you think those people ever get out? He had revealed his strategy, which was to pass himself off as insane. But after the detective refused to answer the question, Hay just laid his cards on the table. Because he truly believed that he would be immune to prosecution if there were no bodies. He told investigators, If I told you the truth, you would not believe me. It sounds too fantastic for belief. Apparently thinking that he would be shipped right off to the psychiatric ward, he decided to talk. I will tell you about it. Mrs. Duran Deacon no longer exists. She has disappeared completely, and no trace of her can ever be found again. I have destroyed her with acid. You will find the sludge, which remains at Leopold Road. Every trace has gone. How can you prove a murder without a body? 
He was convinced still police had to have a physical body to actually prosecute someone for murder. But hey, being this big old moron, did not take into account the circumstantial evidence investigators had. Even without a body, he had already confessed. He was like, yeah, yep, exactly. I burned her, I melted her body down with acid into a sludge. Like, so hello, knew- that's, there it is. Mm-hmm. You just told them, exactly. And so they really only needed to find some, like, corroborating evidence for that. And they had Olive's coat, her jewelry, and whatever they might be able to recover from the sludge. Hay was cautioned not to speak, but he gave a full description of what he had done to Mrs. Duran Deacon. Hay dictated a statement that took two and a half hours to write down. He claimed that as she was examining some paper to use for artificial fingernails, he had shot her in the back of the head. He went to his car to get a pocket knife and a glass, which he then used to drain the blood from the victim so that he could drink it. After, Hay put the body into another 45-gallon oil drum with some acid and left it to go into effect. Olive's murder netted him around 111 pounds and 10 shillings. He went even further and stated that he had killed five more people, dissolved them all in acid to dispose of them, and drank all of their blood. He had filled a glass with blood after each one and consumed it. He said he had an overwhelming need for it, and that was why he had to kill all of them. He described his dream cycle that always preceded his compulsion, and it always involved images of blood. He had been fascinated by it since he was a kid, and he had had this car accident the year before in nineteen or in 1944, and I guess like a big like they're called lorries but travel truck semi truck a big mm-hmm. truck had hit him and that was when he had dripped the blood into his mouth and he said he had no control over it so he would have a dream about this blood again and then he would have this compulsion to go kill the next day that was what he said so hay was kept in custody and charged with the murder of mrs duran deacon and taken to Lou's prison from there he admitted to killing Um, A woman from Hammersmith, a youth from Kensington, a girl from Eastbourne. Within two years of the McSwan family murders, Hay had spent all of the money he had gotten from their estates. And so, as a scammer does, he looked for another way to get money quick. And he found an ad where someone was selling their house. And he met Dr. Archibald Henderson, who was 52, and his his wife, Rose Henderson, who was 41. He didn't want to buy their house. He just wanted to be friends with them. On December 22nd, 1947, he had ordered three carboys of sulfuric acid and two 40-gallon drums without tops. And in February of 1948, Hay visited the Hendersons and spent several days with them. This was when, he claims, a dream cycle began about the blood that drove him to murder them. On February 12th, he drove Dr. Henderson into Crowley and shot him in the head with his own revolver, which Hay had stolen. He left Henderson in the storeroom 
and went to get his gas mask, which he had also taken from the Hendersons. And he went to Mrs. Henderson and told her that her husband was super sick and she needed to come. And she initially was like, no, I'm not going. Just bring him home. He'll be fine. But Hay was like, please, I need you to help me carry his things and carry him. And so she begrudgingly went into the building and Hay shot her as well. He drank blood from both of their bodies before he trussed them up and left them in the acid overnight. All of this, he said, to have their blood. Nine victims in total. He showed no hint of remorse or fear about what was going to happen to yeah, him. Yeah, so he didn't think anything was going to happen. Mm-hmm. He's like, how? I can tell you that I did this, but you have no proof. Um, and because especially at this time, I would imagine, because these things he's saying to everyone are so strange and out of the ordinary, his mental state became very significant to the courts and the press. Uh, He claimed to, you know, murder in order to drink the blood of his victims, and it was unassociated with any sexual perversion, and this was the great debate. Like, was he doing this because he was, you know, getting off on drinking their blood or because he was trying to get their money? There had been no other Quaid cases quite like it, and a lot of the examining physicians did not believe him about this whole dream cycle blood thing. To gain forensic evidence, police searched the yard outside of Hay's rented storehouse, and they found the acid sludge that Hay had described. The ground was covered in debris, and the sludge was mixed up with dirt and trash on the ground they made their first discovery a gallbladder stone ah the acid had not dissolved it so if you've ever had a gallbladder stone just we were just talking about we were just talking about this not even sulfuric acid can dissolve it so you are warranted in your pain Also in the greasy, undissolved fat were some very good specimens of human bone, and one of them appeared to be the left foot of someone. The forensic team gathered 475 pounds of human remains and earth, and they had to take it back to a lab to sieve through. Ugh. And they also had to bring in that 40-gallon green drum full of the same substance inside. And at the bottom of that drum, a hairpin was stuck in the grease. Inside the building was a fine spatter of blood stain on the wall. All of it was carefully photographed. The wall was scraped for analysis. The inspector thought that the spray was consistent with someone getting shot while bent over a bench, possibly looking at a paper. Hay had described her doing just that. Test indicated that the blood was human, but it couldn't be specifically grouped. So for three days, they sifted through this acid sludge the technicians wearing rubber gloves and covering their arms in vaseline to protect themselves from the acid and they found 28 pounds of human body fat three gallstones part of a left foot 18 fragments of human bone an intact upper and lower denture 
the handle of a red plastic bag and a lipstick container. The investigator's luck lay in the fact that the sulfuric acid did not work on plastic the same way it did on human tissue. Um, For plastic to dissolve, it takes like three weeks, and the denture was made of a plastic. If Hay had been arrested any later, or if he had chosen to wait for a confession, they would have had much less success in finding identifiable evidence because the team was able to go to Olive, Olive's dentist and see if they had a match. Uh, Helen Mayo, Olive Duran Deacon's dentist, kept a cast of her patient's upper and lower jaw, uh, and she supplied her with those dentures found at Hay's house. So they were hers. As you probably know, Gruesome uses Zencaster to record, produce, and analyze all on one podcast platform. If investing is something that you're interested in, you'll be excited to learn that Zencaster has recently opened a funding round, allowing listeners like you to own a stake in the company. More than 30,000 passionate creators actively use Zencaster, and it has become the preferred platform for creators to create, grow, and monetize their podcast. Podcasting advertising was the fastest growing marketing channel in 2021. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in our episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. The trial opened on July 18th, 1949, and 4,000 people crowded into this small town to try to get to see try to just see what was going on yeah because this is like sensationalized like super sensationalizes absolute craziness um his defense described to the court the type of mental illness from which Hayes suffered and how it would affect his ability to appreciate the morality of his acts they said he didn't know that what he was doing was wrong but the prosecution hounded him, and the psychiatrist adjusted his story. Dr. Yellowlee said that he was not prepared to express an opinion on whether Hay knew that what he was doing was morally wrong, and he was forced to admit that Hay did seem to know that what he was doing was wrong by law, and that was evident because he attempted to cover all of his crimes. Yeah. So when he said that, the whole defense collapsed because that's literally all they were going on was just this mental health thing. On August 6th, 1949, at Wandsworth Prison, John George Hay, the murderer who dissolved his victims in acid after drinking their blood, was executed. He insisted that he was not afraid to be hanged, and the OG, Madame Tussaud, requested a fitting for a death mask, and Hay was happy to oblige. He bequeathed his clothing to Madame Tussaud's Chamber of Horrors, where a wax figure of him was erected. He sent instructions that it must always be kept in perfect condition, trousers creased, hair parted, shirt cuffs showing. Because I think Madame Tussaud started with like, I mean, this would, would have been a very famous case. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't think there was, it was just like Kardashians back then, you know? Was she the OG true crime connoisseur? <laughs> was she the one preserving these stories? I do not know. I should have looked more into it before. Because I had only ever heard of Madame Tassad as like celebrity wax yeah. figures. Um, but it was started in 1835. Wow. So it's been around for a very long time, and it is waxworks of famous and historical figures. So I'm guessing this was. So it wouldn't have been the OG Madame Tassad to do it, right? Because she would have been like 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like her establishment. Oh, okay. I was like, dang, she kept going. Yeah, because I mean, what did I just say? 18. Yeah, 1835. Her first wax museum was founded, and this was 1949. I wonder if it still exists. His wax figure still exists. I don't know. Let's see. I feel like it would have to have a lot of... Oh, it is. Oh, yikes. He looks like Hitler in his wax figure. Yeah, he does. Ugh. Ugh is right. The big ol' oof. So the Chamber of Horrors was just essentially waxworks of bad guys. Wow, that is... That's interesting. It is very interesting, yeah. Um... Now I want to like learn more about this. At the time I was like, oh wow, that's interesting. But now I'm thinking like when I was writing this, but now I'm thinking about it more and I'm like, wow, I should have. You're like, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, actually (laughs) I didn't write enough about it. I should have done more. Yeah. She had a lot of them. He does look real creepy. He is very creepy. And you're right. He does look like Hitler in this. He does. in especially in that, uh, in that wax figure. I don't know. I just. The fact that he was drinking blood and then dissolving his victims in acid baths. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I really have never heard about this before. And I kind of went down a little spiral on it. Mm-hmm. I take a ton of notes. I am a writer, a student, a habitual list maker. And even though I love paper I do feel bad about the number of notebooks that I buy and then don't fill up before I buy another one. I made a mini goal this year to waste less paper, and Paperlike has really made that easier for me. Paperlike is perfect for anyone who writes or draws with an iPad and an Apple Pencil. The surface of the Paperlike is coated using nanodots, which are tiny microbeads that are designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the Apple Pencil across the screen. Every Paperlike comes in a set of two, so you'll always have a spare, just in case. I love that I'm wasting less paper, but I still get to feel like I'm writing on paper. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com gruesome, click Buy Paperlike, and then select your iPad size. Ready to do more with your iPad? Head over to paperlike.com gruesome to get started. Had you heard of him before? No. Okay. No. I was like, this is interesting. 
Ugh. I mean, I've heard of like the acid bath murderer, but like not this. This is yikes. Right. Maybe it was just a situation where I felt like I was familiar with the like the name, but I had never really looked into it or read about it. Yeah. Got it. But yeah. Oof. That gives me the heaps. And it makes me less upset that my gallstones cost me so much trouble. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that I could (laughs) make you feel better about that. Because they are awful. Hold on. Sorry, I like your keyboard behind you. Oh, thank you. I can show it to you. I have a Um, matching mouse right there. uh, Love that. Mm Mm-hmm. It's sorry for the people who can't see it. It's pink and red and white and orange. And I asked very TikToky. It is. And I saw it and I put it on my wish list for Christmas and I got two of them. I got one that was like bright colors like that one, and I got one that was just pink and white. So I have an extra one if you need one. I would love one of those. Yeah. I'll bring it to you next time I see you. Heck yeah. We can bring you all the goodies. I know. They'll throw that in. It'll be like your uh, other more birthday presents. You'll just keep coming all month as you you want it. Now, Meg got me the best birthday gift. I collect the Starbucks, like, what are they, like, where you are or whatever Mm -hmm. cups. Yeah. And when I went to Disney years ago, they didn't have them. And I told her that the Magic Kingdom cup, I'm like, that is... I like I am obsessed with those and I just made a comment we weren't even talking about like I wanted one I was just talking about how much I love them you said the next time you go that was what you were gonna get yeah I gotta get one the next time and she got me one one. I was so pumped like it's the little things when your wife listens to you (laughs) when your wife knows what you like do you drink out of them or do you just like keep yeah I do okay yeah I like at first, I was like, I'm going to collect these, collect these. But they are the perfect, it's the perfect size for a good cup of coffee in the morning. And they're the perfect size for hot cocoa bombs for the kids because they're a little bit like Oh, rounder. they're wide. Yeah, they're yeah. wider. That's true. And they stack beautifully. Oh, I don't have any of them. I like, it's the same kind, but I like the stainless steel like tumbler version. Oh, of yeah. The where we yeah. are cups. Um. But my favorite coffee mug is someone somewhere in the world made it. It has no brand on it. I love it. If it ever breaks, I will be brokenhearted. It's like perfect size. It looks like it was like handcrafted and it's got purple and blue stripes. And I use it like every single day because it's just my go-to mug. But I cannot, I have no idea where it came from. My, a girl that I know, a woman that I know here, she is like a sculptor. And she makes the most beautiful coffee cups. Like, they are. Maybe I can bring her this one. And I'm like, you can put whatever you want on the outside of it. Paint it however you want. I just yeah, need it this she probably exact she dimension. <laughs> like, she did a bunch of sculptures, like flower sculptures for, I think it was the library. Like, I'll, like I'll show you. And she also listens to us, so she may hear this. But she she's fantastic. Like, I think of like artists and she's like, oh yeah. Cause like she teaches, she's like a college professor of art. And she like just multifaceted, and- talented, I'm like, you are wonderful, beautiful. My dream girl. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm like, you're my dream girl. You're I, so awesome. Artists are so incredible. And every time I see 
like a TikTok or a reel or anything of just someone like creating their own art, I am always just like, wow. Mesmerized. They, yeah. Every time, all of them. I would I wish I had infinite money because I would continuously oh, just sure. give them money to buy their things and have nowhere to put them. But it's just like I wish I wish I could do it. I know I never could because of like the time and artistry mm-hmm. and skill it takes to go to go into those things. But just know that if you're out there making art and posting it and you feel like it's not being you. seen, I think we you're incredible. We see you. And you guys artists don't get enough like that's literally what everyone in the world it keeps them going, you know, like mm-hmm. music, movies. T- like, yes, you go out into nature and you do that stuff, but like all of the stuff you do and enjoy, the majority of that stuff, it's art. Yep. And people are just making that shit for you and giving it to you for free most of the time. So <laughs> support your artists. That's why when people like originally got real pissed that we had started adding ads into this, I'm like, dude, this takes a long time to create. Like, yeah, content go- creation is more labor intensive than you think it's going to be. And then you're like, we'll just add a little bit more here. And you just want to keep doing things, but it's hard. It's hard mm-hmm. to just continue to build on it. I guess that goes, that's true for like writers as well. Like oh, yeah. That's, why, that's, like, that's also art, you know? Once I started doing this and like, us writing, you know, researching and then writing the cases and then recording the cases and editing the cases and putting them out. I realized why artists charge, charge as much as what they do. I'm and like, honestly, oh, I it made me your start. Time. Yeah, it started. It made me appreciate it and start buying more. And yeah, let, I agree. Like, I definitely started. Um, even though I could just listen to it on Spotify or something, I would go and buy like the album as well. Or I would go and buy merch. Yeah. Or where before I was just like, I got it. It's fine. Yeah. Well, even like getting my hair done, I tip her more now because I'm like, your time is valuable, honey, because I feel that. (laughs) Your time is the only valuable thing. Like you're, uh, I was, I was telling you, did you see that Trixie and Katya clip I sent you about evil bird laugh? Yes. Okay. Well, there's another thing that they were talking about. And, um, oh my God, did I just lose it? Did it just poof out of my head? It did. No. Hold on. Oh, I'll I come back that. to it. I was, <laughs> I was like, wait, I need to know if she knows who I'm talking about. And then I'll come back and reference it. Well, sorry, guys. When it comes back into my head, I will remind you of it. We, Meg and I, had girls' night this past weekend. So if you were on our Instagram live, I got <laughs> hammered, hammered, and like I, we had posted a thing that was like, "Oh, buy a shot," and y'all did not disappoint. Like I was so sick the next day. <laughs> Were you sick? By the time I got home is when the hangover really hit. I think the adrenaline of driving. I was like, "Okay, I just got to get home," and then I got home and I slept. I was. She didn't drink and drive. This was the next day. The next day, yeah. Sorry, yeah. the next day. Uh. We went to a drag show that was fabulous. And then great, yeah. they pulled me on stage and that gave me anxiety. And oh, it was just... so good. It was so good. Connie wore a see-through shirt with a bra under it mm-hmm. and like got pulled on stage. And that was the first thing that they commented on. And I was like, yes, I love it. I did take a video of it. I have a video of the whole moment. Oh, I think <laughs> I have. I think you sent it to did me. Did I send it to you? Yeah. I perfect. drank I was like telling my husband the next day, he was like, well, 
how much did you drink? And I was like, I don't think I drank that much. And I started thinking, I was like, oh, I drank a ton. Actually, I drank a ton. I did. We had a big breakfast the next day and we went back to the hotel that night and we both got in our like hunkered down in our separate own full queen beds and we're like we'll just watch a show and we did not make it through one episode no i we were both out done well one the show didn't start until 11 so that gave us a long time to drink before the show even started when you told me you were like i was like what time are we meeting for dinner and you were like seven i was like oh it's kind of late what time is the show and you said 11 i was like that's past my bedtime. I know. That's what uh, my husband said. He's like, are you even going to exist? I was like, probably not. But uh, I rallied. One in the morning, I felt it. I was like, I'm done. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I had so many jello shots and so many Malibu rum drinks because I was trying to be a basic bitch because I was like, if I just stick to one thing tonight, I won't be as sick tomorrow. And I think that was true. I think if I would have been mixing a bunch of stuff, it would have been way worse. But Oof. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like wide awake because I knew a hangover was coming. <laughs> was oh, like, that's the worst. Fe- I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like um, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're just waiting like, wait a second. It's like you're Where so sick and you feel that you're so sick that when you wake up, you're just like too- you're anticipating the illness that's coming. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's not here yet, but it will be. We did have a really big breakfast the next day, though. We did. We smashed it. And that really helped. And the lattes helped. And boof. Still, (laughs) by the time I got home, uh, our neighbors, it was her husband's birthday. So we all went to dinner. My husband had went to, like, the Ambets with them. And he's like, do you want to come up here? And I was like, nah, bro. Like, no. (laughs) But then we went out, and I started to (laughs) – I was like – look, you just got to drink a little bit more. So he brought me a margarita, like a big one. And I had maybe three drinks out of it. And I gave it to the birthday boy. Cause I was like, here you go. Happy this is birthday. For you. I'm going to drink four diet Cokes while I'm sitting here, but I overdid it. I night. could even hardly. Hey, eat. you know what? We hadn't gone out in a long time since March of last year when we went to LA. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was that one. Wow. Well, it's been like a year. And before that, it was like a year before that. Once a year, you really got to just get your tits out. Yeah. And that's what exactly what <laughs> that's I did. exactly what you did. But I think it helped. Like, my husband was such a hype man about it. He was like, hell yeah, you look great. Rock that shit. And I was like, yeah, I do. I do and then, like, they nice. pulled me on stage, and he was like, damn, bitch, look at you, like, going on about it. And I was like, I feel self-conscious. But then I realized he was, like, hyping me up. You did look great. You looked beautiful. And then every time they saw you after that, he would do the little like boob push at you. Yeah. Where he was like, Connie. Yep. It was so funny. Mm-hmm. I loved that. That was my favorite moment of the evening. It was fun. The queens were fantastic. Yeah, they had uh, a great job. And they also reminded me that I needed to get my ass in shape because they were looking <laughs> fabulous. I was like, there's no way that I'm going to grow six inches and have legs that long, but a bitch can try. There is just something about like how like Amazonian drag queens are. And I'm just like, man, I it love is, it. I it's love my it. dream. It's the finesse and the like, just the poise 
I was obsessed. That was my first drag show, and I was obsessed. I cannot. We're going to, when we go to Vegas, uh, me and my aunt and my cousin, we are going to the RuPaul drag show. Like, oh, the, you are? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like I'm a drag. Jealous. It's like a drag breakfast. Oh, that'll be so fun. You'll have With to send unlimited me videos. mimosas. So, I, you know what? I'm coming too. You just tell, Come on. tell your whole family, like, hey. They wouldn't even care. I know they would anyway. They'd First weekend of May, just come on out. I will almost be done with school, but not quite yet. I still have like two weeks. Wait till we go to Colorado in August. Yeah. That'll be Let's... more low chi- that'll be more low key and what chill. What do you call people that live in Colorado? Colorado Coloradians? Color Colorado. <laughs> Hotheads. <laughs> <laughs> They don't know what's coming. We'll see you in August. Save the snacks because your girl's going to need them once I get out there with all the stuff. Can't wait. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I'm going to cut it off a little early because my computer is dying and I do not have my charger. It's not working right now. I don't know why. So I'm nope, very that sorry. Works. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs)